Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Dan Lyman, the editor-in-chief at BorderHawk.News, a correspondent with InfoWars, and today taking a look at immigration and related issues from a national and international perspective. And Dan Lyman, great to have you with us on The Shilling Show Unleashed. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Rob. Thank you. All right. So I want to go to the new hordes that are descending on America. And I guess maybe we had a, a slight break or maybe just a little bit of a downturn. But let's start out by looking at the cumulative numbers, because since uh, Joe Biden took office, the numbers have been just devastating. Absolutely. We have the, the official data, which the government uh, drips mm. out to us. And then we have kind of the, the unofficial but close to official data based on known uh, information that we're given, but that doesn't really make it into the, the final counts. Of course, uh, known gotaways being a huge factor in there. And then we have the data where we're kind of just guessing, you know, making educated guesses uh, as to what's really going on because we have encounters, is what they call them now at the border. We have known gotaways. And then we have the unknown gotaways, which are harder to quantify, but we can definitely look at what's going on at the border, uh, all of our borders really, and get a clear picture uh, of how bad things really might be. Uh, and as of a couple of months ago, the uh, FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, uh, one of a very vaunted kind of a think tank that, that really does its best to try to get a handle on these figures, estimated that 5.5 million illegal aliens have entered the country under the Biden uh, regime. And that was a couple of months ago. And since then, things have gotten so much worse. And they look like they're going to get exponentially worse in the coming weeks. Everyone can kind of sit with those figures and and imagine how bad things really are and how much worse they're getting. You mentioned that things are looking like they're going to get a lot worse. What's driving that and why now? Of course, so we have the end of Title 42, which was ordered by a federal judge last month. That is slated to expire on December the 21st, which is, of course, a week from tomorrow. Now, as bad as things have been in the recent months, uh, the estimates are approximately 6,000 illegal crossings per day, give or take. So that's what it's been with Title 42 in place, which hasn't really necessarily been used uh, as much as it, certainly not as much as it was during the Trump administration, but it just doesn't seem like too many people get turned away or returned uh, back across the border, although Venezuelan migrants have found themselves returned more frequently as of late. Now, with that being said, that was one of the few deterrents to prospective migrants from leaving their own countries under the fear that they might be turned away or returned back across the border into Mexico. That was one of the few uh, fingers in the dam, so to speak, that uh, a tool that was being used occasionally and use as a deterrent. Now that's slated to go away next week. 
and officials are warning that we could jump from the estimated 6,000 per day to as much as 18,000 on a daily basis. And we are starting to see signs that 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 number is already increasing based on a huge incursions over the weekend that are pushing the daily figures, the averages up closer to 8,000 per day already, and Title 42 has not yet expired. You know, you talk about five million, and and we could probably surmise that it's uh, considerably higher than that. But let's use that number. And something that I don't hear people talking about, Dan, is the impact, uh, particularly on the cost of living and inflation. So, if you dump five million people into a country, they all need a place to live, they all need to eat, they need services. A lot of them are getting things from the government, but uh, we don't hear about these indirect or hidden costs uh, to everyday Americans. Absolutely, and you know, I'm sure. Many of your li- listeners will uh, will know that either they themselves or someone they know has experienced the difficulty with finding somewhere affordable to rent. And of course, maybe we're not the ones necessarily looking to live in places where illegal immigrants might be living uh, in terms of like uh, on an apartment by apartment or house by house basis. However, the displacement starts at the lowest rungs and of course it works outward from there. So. Maybe, you know, you have illegals living in some of the most affordable housing uh, or or the cheapest locations. Maybe there are more than a few living in in any given place, so they're kind of crammed in there. But that's that's at the lowest rung, let's say, of available abodes. And that's, of course, going to displace the people who were living there or were looking to live there. So they're going to have to go up a rung you know, in cost or, or um, you know, move locations. And that, that ripple effect, of course, carries outwards to now where you have people living in one bedroom, one bathroom apartments for, you know, $2,000 a month, which I've heard many times as of late, um, you know, just exorbitant prices. And that's partially due to the fact that we have millions upon millions of people coming into this country and they need somewhere to live, as you mentioned. So let's talk about how this is all taking place. There has been hint of coordination in the past with various nefarious entities. So are we seeing that same coordinated effort in the re- most recent assault on the border? Absolutely. And, you know, we've, we've been reporting that at Border Hawk for a couple of years now. We ended up recently in a, in a documentary discussing the fact that international organizations, namely the United Nations, but of course many other organizations that people are far less familiar with, are both funding and participating in the movement of these illegals from around the globe. Eventually, many of them make their way through Mexico to the U.S. Southwest border. And that has continued. And we actually saw a perfect example of that, a brazen example, over the the weekend, uh, Sunday night, it would have been, we had what many are calling the largest single group to cross into the United States in many years, maybe ever, at least uh, on that section of border. More than 1,000 people, some people are saying 2,000 people, entered at one time they entered El Paso, Texas. So the border reporters that have been down there for basically the duration of the crisis, namely Bill Belugin, but there are others, Fox's Bill Belugin, say that's definitely the largest group that they've seen enter at one time. And many of those people were apparently bussed right to the border by the Mexican government. So they were traveling in one of these so-called caravans. They were briefly detained or stopped in, I guess, Chihuahua State. And then the Mexican government just started sending busloads of these people right up to the border, supposedly to drop them at shelters there. But, of course, many of them simply continued on. They amassed 
along the Rio Grande, and at night they basically all just stormed right in. Stormed not in the sense of uh, charging into the country, so to speak, because they don't need to. They just walked across the Rio Grande, and then they surrendered to Border Patrol there. And El Paso, which was already totally overwhelmed, is now looking just all the worse to wear because Border Patrol is overwhelmed as well, and they're just mass-releasing them. There are photos and, and videos of them camped out all over the city looking for shelter, living by campfires, which, of course, is a bit dangerous when you have thousands of people setting fires all over your city. Um, and so that was just in one night in El Paso. And uh, it was basically foreshadowed last week in a story that we covered. Um, these, like I said, these groups, they continue to grow in size. And we are we really have been tracking that. So towards the beginning of the Biden border rush, as you might call it, uh, groups in sizes of, let's say, a couple hundred, 100, 200 began uh, coordinated entries into the U.S. Uh, a lot of those entries took place in Eagle Pass, Texas, down in South Texas, in the Del Rio sector. And as we were watching that, we were saying, wow, this is clearly coordinated because they would typically be led in by smugglers. They would enter in single large groups. And so those groups over time have grown in size to where it would be 300, 400, 500. And none of them were being turned away. And we were starting to see that they would come on a daily basis, sometimes hourly, these large groups pounding this, uh, the Eagle Pass area. And of course, this happens all around the border, but Eagle Pass has really gotten the brunt of things. Mm-hmm. Those groups, then they started becoming larger than 500. And last week, we had a group of 700 plus, which was one of the largest groups uh, in recent history. And just hours later, two more groups totaling over 1,000. So we had well over 1,700 people in three groups enter the same area. And you got, you got a sense at that time that the powers that be, the smugglers, whoever is organizing this, really were starting to test the limits ahead of the end of Title 42. And then we see, you know, we went from 700 being one of the largest groups quickly to nearly 2,000, according to some estimates, just days later. So this kind of gives people an idea of just how large and organized this is and what we might expect in the weeks to come. We might see groups of 1,000 or 2,000 or more start entering on a daily basis at any given point on the border. You mentioned the complicity of the Mexican government, Dan, and it seems to me, and I recall that under the Trump administration, there were great threats being thrown back against Mexico that you better get on board with us and help us instead of fighting against us. Has that whole thing completely flipped 180 now? I have seen very little evidence that that is happening in terms of the Biden administration dealing with the Mexican government. Um, There has been a little bit of pushback uh, specifically on Venezuelan migrants for whatever reason, deals were struck behind the scenes or there was some sort of political maneuvering where the administration decided they would at least start turning away Venezuelan migrants. So what they did in in recent weeks is they set up camps along the Rio Grande. And many of those who are entering now in these large groups probably consist of some of these uh, Venezuelan migrants who were initially turned away. So they, they set up these uh, large camps along the Rio, staging uh, protests. The Actually, we had some Republican lawmakers uh, make a visit down there, some people from Congress led by uh, Representative McCarthy. And they stood and they surveyed this camp out of Venezuelan migrants who were actually 
shouting and taunting them and yelling at them and demanding to be let in from across the Rio. So there's actually pretty, pretty uh, startling video footage of that if people want to look around online. Um, and so the Mexican government, eventually they went in, sent some troops in to clear those migrants out of that camp and move them elsewhere. My guess is many of them probably have attempted reentry or are about to next week. I'm curious as to the response of the Texas state government. Uh, some people have accused Governor Abbott of just doing lip service and a lot of blustering, but uh, has he actually done some things that are substantive in pushing back? In some ways, yes. Uh, the Texas Department of Safety, which is their uh, state police force, essentially oversees the state police force, has done a pretty good job on their own. But of course, the numbers are so overwhelming that they can only do so much. There is definitely mixed reactions to the way that the governor has handled things down there. Some some would say that what he has done is more for show than anything and to ensure his, his own reelection and to stay within the favor of Texans by, you know, claiming that he's going to deploy all these troops and that they're going to be manning the, the river and, and sending people back to the border, which that's another one that's up for debate at what they were actually doing or doing with these illegals, not necessarily deporting them, but bringing them back to facilities on the border. Some ways, some good things have been done. Uh, I am seeing more bark than bite, in my opinion. You know, in the past, we've heard about supposedly the governor of Texas cutting deals with the governors in the bordering Mexican states to stem the tide and put the responsibility on them. And you would see the following day, large numbers of uh, police and troops deployed to the Rio for photo ops. And then we wouldn't see any slowing of the actual uh, streams of migrants coming to the country. So I don't know if these deals are being violated on the Mexican side or if they're, a, you know, a wink and a nod and, hey, we'll try to keep uh, appease people and make them think we're doing something about this when we're really not. It's really hard to to get a grasp on how much of this is sincere efforts that are being possibly thwarted by the federal government or how much of it is, you know, for show. I'd like to briefly speculate on what would have happened and uh, perhaps what should have happened the election in Arizona if Carrie Lake had been elected because she was talking very strong and I believe she would have acted on it in the way that she said she would have. Yeah, actually, she really brought forth one of the strongest arguments and potential plans to put in place. And we actually covered that. Our great writer, Alan Wall, covered that at uh, at borderhawk.blog. He went kind of deep into Carrie Lake's plan of action. But basically, uh, one of the things that I found interesting about what she wanted to do is she said within you know minutes of being uh, sworn in that she would declare an emergency at the border, declare an invasion, and use all tools in her toolkit to stem the tide, at least as far as Arizona goes. And then she also proposed uh, bringing together a coalition of border states where uh, states would band together and just focus on handling the situation to the best of their abilities, but help each other, which we haven't really seen too much of. Occasionally we hear about, you know, a state deploying a few National Guardsmen uh, down to help a border state, but it doesn't really seem to do all that much. But she seemed like she was prepared to come in and take action And it is quite unfortunate how that election has panned out at this point. It is. Uh, Finally, on this topic, on these hordes descending on America, even Elon Musk has taken note of this. What's been his response and why does that matter? First preface this by saying I'm not an Elon Musk fanboy. However, uh, I do really appreciate some of the things that he's doing right now and that he's lent his voice to uh, some pretty serious issues uh, that 
most of his fellow travelers in the billionaire class would not air weighed in on. And one of those has been the fact that he's actually signaling that he is taking notice of what is happening at the border. And so, we, of course, we have Bill Malugin, as I previously mentioned, a Fox News correspondent who has really done just outstanding coverage of the, the Biden border crisis for the last couple of years now. He posts some of the most unbelievable footage and, and photographs of mass crossings and, for instance, the one that just happened over the weekend, some really incredible footage of that. And also in the past couple of months, some other stunning imagery that Elon Musk has taken note of and has weighed in on. He's commented on. He hasn't said much. Typically, it's just, wow, that I've seen that reaction a couple of times. However, the fact that he's even doing that, he has 120 million Twitter followers, many of whom are, let's say, apolitical normies or maybe leftists who uh, just are kind of clueless as to what's really going on. And when someone like Elon comments on someone else's tweet when he responds to them, that in turn, you know, exposes a, a large swath of people to whatever it is that he's weighing in on. And at least three different times now in the past couple of months, he has signaled that he is paying attention and that he is noticing some of these unbelievable uh, incursions at the border and in turn exposing his followers to that. So the most recent example, of course, like I said, Sunday night, uh, one to 2000 people coming in, Elon weighed in on that video. He, he commented on it and he took notice. And uh, it seems to shock or surprise him at minimum. It may disturb him. And so when you have one of the richest men in the world, someone who certainly uh, depends on, on foreign labor at his factories and in his businesses, showing that maybe he's not necessarily uh, down for the open borders agenda that is facing the United States, or at least didn't know how bad it was. Uh, I, I think that really is a, a small kernel of hope, a small white pill, so to speak, that uh, maybe not everyone's on board with this. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Dan Lyman. We continue in a moment. Shilling Show Unleashed. BorderHawk.News is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The BorderHawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and, in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. BorderHawk.News highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. BorderHawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. BorderHawk.News will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark BorderHawk.News. Add them on social media at BorderHawkNews on Twitter. Shilling Show Unleashed. Dan Lyman is our guest on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast, borderhawk.news, online at InfoWars as well. We continue this look at uh, worldwide and national immigration issues. So let's go to Europe and talk about what's happening there. We don't get a lot of this news in the United States, at least not through the mainstream. So people are woefully ignorant of what's happening in Europe. What's the latest? Simultaneous with the largest immigration border collapse crisis facing the United States is another brewing in Europe that ha- really has never died down. It definitely got a little less 
chaotic since the 2015-2016 crisis, um, or it got less coverage. Um, that was definitely, uh, that one made world news for sure at that time. And that's when uh, Germany took in uh, 2 million uh, illegal migrants, quote unquote, asylum seekers, supposedly fleeing war in Syria. Uh, Sweden took on uh, 2% growth in their population just in migrants. And many other countries took on unbelievable numbers of migrants. And so that got a lot of attention. And since then, you don't really hear too much about the immigration situation in Europe, although it has just continued on since then. We had, let's say, a lull in the action during the border closures and slow in international travel that were affected by all of the the COVID lockdowns. And so during that period, there still was uh, illegal migration, illegal traffic towards Europe, but it was a bit slower. However, uh, at around that time, despite a lull in the action, Europol predicted that a flood of migration from third world countries would eventually come after the lockdowns were lifted. And then, of course, when you had the, the ongoing economic impacts that they've had on the third world, that those would then spur another immigration crisis in Europe. And that has been unfolding all of this year, and it's not really getting that much attention. But Frontex, which is the European Border and Coast Guard Agency, they're kind of the international border patrol, so to speak, for the European Union, has been releasing their data monthly. And this year they've signaled that we are facing the the largest illegal immigration flows into Europe since the 2016 crisis, and that has been on track all year. And the numbers are sound comically small compared to what we're facing in the United States. So they said uh, as of the end of November, 308,000 illegal entries were recorded during the first 11 months of 2022. Now, doesn't sound as bad as as the United States. Uh, I have reason to believe these numbers are are low. However, just based on official data, they are the worst uh, that we've seen since 2016 and a 68% increase over the same period last year. And approximately 50%, 45 to 50% of that traffic has been uh, occurring in the Western Balkans, which is basically uh, European countries that are not part of the EU, so they don't benefit necessarily from the same border protections that Frontex supposedly offers. So people are coming up through the Balkans uh, as they have been for years, and then they find their way into the European Union. And many of them attempt that entry at the Hungarian borders. And I know some of your listeners will be familiar with Hungary. Hungary actually has has done some of the, the most important work in defending the external borders of the European Union in recent years. One of the reasons that I would call this 308,000 illegal entries this year figure into question is because the prime minister of Hungary last month announced that Hungary alone has stopped 250,000 illegal entries at its borders. So it it, it kind of brings into question what the the official data really is. But what we're seeing there, actually, and I draw a corollary uh, to what's a conversation about Carrie Lake is uh, countries there are starting to form their own smaller coalitions outside of the the broader uh, umbrella in an effort, supposedly, to stem illegal migration. So Serbia, which is not in the European Union, Hungary and Austria, which both are, they announced last month that they were forming a joint border defense force aimed at tackling illegal migration in the Western Balkans region, which, as I mentioned, is where approximately half 
of all illegal entries take place into Europe. So it will be interesting to see if they're going to have uh, any luck with that, if they're actually going to implement it correctly. Um, Hungary, of course, has done a, a great job of defending its borders. I would say Serbia and Austria, not as much, um, but they do, do, they do make a decent effort at times to stem the tide. So we'll see if that helps at all, because, uh, you know, what we're facing in Europe is yet another massive invasion spurred by <laughs> the collapse of third world countries and them just pushing their citizens or their citizens leaving and heading for greener pastures. I'm curious about the techniques that uh, Orban is using and how that is received domestically. So in other words, is he taking people in like the United States and processing them and holding them? Is he stopping them right at the border? And how does this play for the domestic audience? No, very rarely are, are migrants who are caught in the country allowed to stay. Hungary, uh, following the 2015-16 crisis or during it, they built a pretty comprehensive border security system, which they hadn't needed until then, apparently, or they hadn't felt like they needed. So they, they built a, a multi-tiered fence along its border. They expanded their patrols along that border. And they have done a really good job of either just preventing people from coming in or kicking them out as soon as they attempt it. Uh, over the years, we've seen uh, incredible footage of thwarted illegal entries where the, the Hungarian troops are deployed immediately at a sign of, uh, of an incursion and <laughs> discharging firearms sometimes when they need to um, or, or using force to repel uh, groups of migrants coming into the country. Uh, what a lot of them do now, and this is a huge problem in Europe as it has been for years, but this problem continues to grow, is that a lot of them, smugglers will use uh, their own vehicles to drive uh, illegal migrants into Europe or illegal migrants will find their way into the backs of lorries, which are uh, cargo trucks. Most of the time would be unbeknownst to the driver. So we just did a story actually the other day, a delivery truck that came to France from Italy bringing luxury goods. The driver arrived at destination in France to dump the load and he heard voices in the back of his trailer. So they called the police, the police came, they opened up the back of the trailer and they found 14 illegal migrants from around the world hiding in the back of the truck. That's a common occurrence. We don't cover it every day, although we probably could. Uh, and of course, that is a tactic that is very often used in the Calais region of France of migrants trying to reach the UK. They'll just be hiding uh, or, or openly walking around on the highways and forcing entry into the backs of trailers and riding those trailers onward to their destinations. Some years ago, and it's probably been decades ago, uh, Pat Buchanan wrote a book or a piece about the Muslim conquest of Europe and how the European culture would essentially cease to exist within a fairly short period of time. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book because it is kind of old, but I'm wondering if that's what's going on. Is the European culture being impacted by this invasion? Oh, absolutely. And we have such a clear example unfolding literally right now. We have the FIFA World Cup, which has been going on in Qatar for the last few weeks. They're into the, I guess, to the quarterfinals or semifinals, where there are, are now there are four, four teams left, Morocco being one of those teams. And Morocco is, I guess, uh, the first African team to advance this far into the tournament. Why that's relevant is there is a massive Moroccan population in, in Europe now at this point, many of them being young males who have entered Europe just in recent years, or some of them coming the descendants of Moroccan migrants from the past living in Europe. And so, uh, so they're living, a lot of them are living in Western Europe. You have many in uh, the Netherlands, you have them in France, in Germany, 
uh, in Belgium. And after each World Cup match, uh, which they have been winning, these men take to the streets along with other migrants from other countries, other African migrants and from Islamic countries, and absolutely raising hell in the streets. Um, we have incredible damage they've been doing to businesses. They basically just staged these mass riots, injuring police officers, terrorizing these cities. And this is when they're winning football games. Imagine how much worse things would be if, for instance, they wanted to stage a violent revolution in the streets. I think we're seeing a, a sign of what's to come. These things, of course, have been happening in Europe for years. They've had riots in the streets of, of Paris and, and, and Brussels and Antifa uh, banding up with migrants to create havoc. This has been a really clear snapshot of the problem that it has brought when you have mass amounts of, of migrants from other countries, a lot of them from Islamic countries that are otherwise at times dormant and in these European cities, but when they have an excuse to band together uh, and cause problems, the amount of damage that they can do. And we're seeing this during what are supposedly good times <laughs> when they're uh, doing well in a tournament. Europe has a glimpse of what things could look like down the road uh, in not so good times. Dan, if people want to follow your work online and get more information on your research, how can they do that? Certainly. I'm on Twitter at Real Dan Lyman. And you can find my work daily at borderhawk.news, borderhawk.blog, where we host our exclusive content and uh, all of my work at uh, InfoWars Europe as well. Dan, we're grateful for the work you continue to do. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thanks, Rob. Always a pleasure. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.